This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Hey, my name is TJ, and I am one of the pastors here. Come on, can we give it up for our band? Doesn't they do a great job on that? We took some, some Katy Perry and, and made it like smooth jazz, and uh, I don't really know how that works, but we did it. We took techno pop and made it smooth jazz, and uh, well, you know, we're, we're starting this series this week called Empty Promises, and, and one of the reasons we started with that song is because that song talks about how many of us in life, we have these ideas, we have these thoughts about how life is going to go, and we buy into all these dreams, we buy into all these aspirations that we're told all of our life to go after, and later on down the, down the line, when we finally get those things and we finally achieve those things, we realize that they aren't all that they're cracked up to be. Can anybody give me some of that? I mean, everybody, everybody's been there. We've gone and we've pursued some things. We've gone after some things, and when we finally achieve those things, when we finally acquired those things, we thought, man, this was going to bring me something that I, that I did have, but yet even when we end up with those things, we felt a little empty. You know, we felt like there was something still missing in our lives. And, and you know, as a kid growing up, um, you know, there were, there were some things that, that were pretty messed up in my life. Anybody else kind of have a, a jacked up childhood? Um, I, I'm like one of those kids. As, as a five-year-old, you know, five-year-olds, they go to kindergarten. And, uh, and I went to kindergarten as, as a kid in a public school. Um, you know, I grew up in a background where my parents owned bars and they owned uh, restaurants and, and other businesses. And so we had, I had kind of an interesting home life. Um, and, and I remember going to kindergarten and, and within the first week of kindergarten, I, I was in the principal's office um, because I was fighting. And, and so, you know, they, they said, you know, TJ, you're not allowed to hit other kids. And I was like, I, I understand that, but, but that's fun for me. And so, and, and that, you know, that just didn't really, that didn't really compute. And back then they were allowed to do this thing called spankings. And so the principal of a public school, yes, this happened quite a few years ago. He took me in his office and he spanked me. And I was like, man, that, that stunk. I don't know if I want to experience that again. Um, but yet, very next week, I'm back in the principal's office, and he's like, TJ, what, you know, I was becoming a common name at this public school in Sarasota, and uh, they're like, what are you doing here again? I was like, I threw a kid in the trash can, and uh, recess, it was competitive, competitive recess, you know, I don't know, and so um, I threw this kid in the trash can, and I ended up in the principal's office, and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm you know, I didn't punch anybody, and he's like, well, that's good, but you can't throw kids in trash cans either, okay? And so, and so this was like a common occurrence until finally I got kicked out of public school. And, uh, and my parents didn't really know what to do with me, and so they sent me to a psychologist. Um, you know, you know you're jacked up if you're five years old and you have a shrink. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, just turn to your neighbor and say, that dude's jacked up. <laughs> Makes you feel a little bit better about yourself right now. You're like, oh, my childhood wasn't so bad. You know, I didn't have a shrink at five, and, but yet I didn't. And, and, you know, the shrink, they would tell me, okay, you know, we don't, when you start to become angry, I want you to think happy thoughts, you know, rainbows and butterflies. And I'm like, rainbows and butterflies, I'm a dude, you know, don't tell me rainbows and butterflies. Um, it, but yet it went on and on. And eventually I ended up in, in, in a private school. I got kicked out of public school at five years old. I don't know how that works, but I accomplished it twice. And, um, and so, and I ended up 
up in private school, and again, they, were, they kept going, and, and, and the shrinks and the teachers and this, this school, all they were talking about to me continuously, listen, TJ, we need you to edit your behavior. You can't do those things. You're not allowed to do that. And I would go to, to sci, my psychologist and my shrink, and I would lay there and, you know, as, as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old, and they would tell me, you just can't do those things. You got, you got to stop that behavior. And so many times the, the Christian life is a lot like that. You know, we're, we're so busy trying to do this sin management thing on people. We're telling you, hey man, we want you to manage your sins. We want you to manage the things that, that seem to go wrong in your life. And, and that's what church has been around. And that's why so many people are turned off by religion and, and church because it's all about, been about all these rules and regulations. And, and see, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to, to do. Jesus didn't come to edit our behavior. He didn't come to make me not be angry at other people, to not beat other people up. Jesus came to change your heart. And it wasn't about managing the outcomes in, the, in our outward expression life. He's saying, listen, there's something deeper that's going on besides those outward things that are happening. There's a heart thing that's taking place there. And, and for me and for this church, you know, I'm just tired of this. We come in here and, and we want us to come and say, don't do this and don't do that and don't do these things. You know, don't be greedy and don't lust and, and don't, and don't want to have sex with your, your neighbor's wife. Don't do any of those things. And Jesus would say, that's not really what it's all about. What it's about is, is is you need to be asking the deeper question of, of what is going on in the inside that's making you want to do those things? What is going on in the inside of you that makes you, makes you just lash out at your spouse and say things that you would never say to a stranger, but yet you'll just blurt out at them? What makes you get up and yell at your kids and pick up that lamp and throw it at them and, and, and wonder what the heck is going on? You know, what is going on inside of your heart? that makes you do those things. And so many times we think, oh man, God just wants to come into the living room of our life. And you know, he has one of those feather duster things, you know, and he's just going around and he just wants to dust everything off. And that isn't what, that isn't what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to come in almost with, if we were to look outside of the window of our life, of the living room of our life, there's like a wrecking ball there. And he wants to come in and destroy some of these things that have been guiding us to these, these wrong ways of th thinking and these wrong ways of living because the things that we're doing aren't a byproduct of, man, we just want something. It's a byproduct of, man, there is something that is on the number one spot in our heart that is drawing us away from the very thing that God intended us for. There's this thing called an idol that's in our life and, and, and this idea, and I know that this is kind of a church word, idols. We don't talk about that besides American Idol, you know, every Tuesday night or whatever night it's on, you know, we, we all gather around the TV, 40 million viewers or whatever, to wonder who the next American Idol is gonna be. But there are idols that are in our lives that are all over the place. And, and an idol is anything in our lives that takes the place of God. It's anything in our life that, that comes and it becomes number one and it's, it's sitting on the throne of our heart and it's in this place that, that it wants to be in first place and, and everything we do is trying to fulfill the needs of that thing. And it, it's not a question of whether we have idols in our lives because it's obvious the heart is like an idol factory. It'll produce one after another, after another, after another. All we have to do is look around and we'll see that, man, there are things that we are running after all the time in our lives. And, it, and if we change it from one aspect, it'll go to the next. The bigger question is, is, is what is the idol that's in your life that's competing with God for that number one spot? 
What is the idol that's in your life that is, that is pushing you, that is, that is doing that? And, and I know for a lot of us, it, it's hard for us to, to look and do those things because there's some closed doors that are in our lives. There's some areas of our life that are closed off. And it's very scary to go and open up that door and peek in and know what's gonna be inside of there. Most of us wanna just ignore that and say, oh, that's just, that's just the room. You know, everybody has that room or that drawer that you have at your house where when you don't know what to do with something, what do you do? You open it and you just throw it in there, right? Come on, we all have, we have an entire room in our house that's like that. We're like, please don't ever open up that door. I mean, there's, we don't know what's in there, what's growing in there, what's living in there. I mean, it's just, it's like a whole nother world. And there's parts of our lives that are like that. And I think that the, probably the biggest, and, and, and the reason I want to start with this subject is because God has been doing so much in my own heart. And, and a lot of what this series is going to come out of us specifically today is, is something that God has been trying to, to teach me personally and, trying to, and dealing with me in my own life. But I think one of the greatest idols and one of the greatest things that, that draw us away from God and is extremely prevalent here in South Florida is this idea of success and achievement. I mean, we see it everywhere. We see the Bentley driving down the road or we see the Rolls Royce or all we got to do is drive down A1A and we're like, what in the world is that person doing that they got like a 25,000 square foot house and then they got a $7 million yacht on the, on the intercoastal, you know? And, and all these things are going on and we're looking around and we're like, man, I want that. I want to achieve that. I want to have that stuff in our lives. And, and you know what? The Bible has a ton to talk about this stuff. And so if you guys wouldn't mind today turning in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter two, we're going to be hanging out there for a while. Um, if you don't have your Bible, you can look in your worship guide. There's some notes provided there for you. Um, if you happen to have your smartphone, you can take that out and there's a QR code. It's that squeaky little thing in the right-hand corner. If you have a QR code reader, you can scan that and it'll bring it up on your phone. If not, you can just take a look at the screen behind us. We're going to look at a guy named Solomon and uh, he, he uh, kind of was at the pinnacle of success when he wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses four through 11. He says this, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So basically he's saying, man, listen, I got more stuff than everybody else. That's what he's basically getting to. I guess I could have summed that up. And then he goes on to say, I amassed silver and gold for myself and, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. And, and that just tells me, you know, I was thinking about this, that when you have everything, you just buy yourself a personal choir. You just make it, you know, you just jam at home and, and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Now, I would look at this and I would term this, this is, this is like ultimate success in life. This is like this guy, anything that he could dream, basically he would snap his fingers and it would appear in his life. I mean, and that, isn't that, I mean, if we are all honest with ourselves, isn't that what we all want? We want this like ultimate success where anything we can dream, anything we can think, we can have it in our lives. And, and I don't know about you, but I know for me, man, I wanna be successful. Uh, am I the only one that wants that? I, I want to be successful, man. I want to make it big in life. I want to. I want to have nice things. I want to. I want to achieve great dreams. And and you know. And, and and at the end of the day, you know, a lot of times I'm driving home and I look at my to do list and I feel like, you know what, TJ, you are pretty successful today. You know. And, and and that feels all right. But you know what I really want? 
more than anything else, is I want you to look at my life and you to think I'm successful. It's not enough for me just to see myself as successful. What I need more than seeing my success, myself as successful is I need you to look at my life and say, you know what, that guy's a success. That's what I am looking for in life. And I think deep inside of every human heart, there is this longing and there's this desire and there's this passion and there's this, this idea that, man, we've got to succeed. We've got to do well and, and we've got to make something of our life and we've got to make a difference in this world. And I think that that's com- a, a completely natural thing. And I think that that's a God-given thing. In fact, if you don't have that in your life, I would say that there's probably something in your life that's broke. There's probably something that's not functioning right if you don't have that. But, but within us, we're, we're, because we're made to do something great. God created us that way. And, and, but for many of us, for many of us in this room, there is something else that's going on deep within our heart that is so much greater than just wanting to be successful in life. And, and I think that it, it comes from this, this corruption that the Bible calls sin that has come into our lives. And, and we start to look to success and we start to look to accomplishment for our value in life and, and, and looking to, to those things when only God can give us that thing. And so instead of just being content with getting the job, we want to have the best job that there possibly is. Instead Instead of getting the raise, man, we want to be rise all the way to the top. Instead of being a, a good parent, we want to be the best and most successful parent there is on the face of the earth. We aren't satisfied with just being good. We have got this desire within us to move all the way to the top. And so we lie and we cheat and we steal and we backstab and we gossip and we do whatever it takes to get success. And why do we do that? Because we're striving for this thing that has become an empty promise in our life. We think if I just get a little bit more, man, it will satisfy this deep need within me. And, it's, and success dangles this carrot out there and says, man, if you get this, if you get this, you'll get it. And, and right when you get to that point, it just puts it out a little bit further. And it says, man, if you can just get to here, if you can just get to this point. And maybe some of us have actually gotten to that point in what we typically find. Is that it's still empty. It's still empty. There's still something that's void in our lives. And Solomon continues in verse 11. He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I think we all know this deep down inside. But yet for some reason, we still run after this idea of success and achievement. I mean, he accumulates money and he accumulates power. He accumulates accomplishments. He could, you could say he got the larger office. He got the, the highest raise, man. He, he got the bigger paycheck. He had the big wind. He had all of it. He was the epitome of success. But yet, he says, man, it was like grasping at the wind. It was something that I could never grab hold of. And at the end of the day, it was meaningless. So we're going to dive in today, and we're going to talk about some things that I think a lot of us uh, are, are allowing some things in our life to come from. And, and we're going to call this whole idea the success-based identity. It's where we, we gather our worth 
externally. We, what happens for, for a great deal of us in life is that, you know, we're, we're, we're going out in life and, and we're looking for success and we're, and we're looking for self-worth in life. And so what happens is, is, is we have self-worth over here. And, and what happens is, is, you know, when we go and we get a business deal and, and uh, it's a good thing. And so it, it adds a little bit to our self-worth or, or we get a raise at work, you know, and, and it adds a little bit more to our self-worth or, or somebody gives us a compliment they said, girl, you're looking good today. And, you know, you get a little bit of self In fact, that one's worth two. I mean, that's just a good thing, you know. And so, and so you get these things and, you know, you, 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 get, you get a, you know, you have your first kid and they are good looking and they are beautiful and they are smart. Like they come out talking and you're like, man, I feel good about myself. These jeans, they are awesome. And, and what happens is, is, is all these things, every time we, we make the grade at school, man, it, it adds a little bit to our self-worth. The problem is, is that by allowing accomplishments to dictate our worth, these external things that we can accomplish, is kind of like taking this, this, this cup and trying to fill up a lake. You know, you can, you can sit here all day doing this, but at the end of the day, it's virtually impossible. We can go and we can, we can do a little bit more. We can achieve a little bit more. We can do all those things. But at the end of the day, we can never seem to get enough. It, it just is never enough. It doesn't matter how many sales you make. It doesn't matter how many raises you get. It doesn't matter how many promotions you get in your job. It just never, ever seems to look at our, be enough. We always want more. We always want just a little bit more in our lives. And we have to look at our lives and we have to evaluate this success-based identity thing. And we got to look at a couple of areas of our lives. And I think the first one is this, is that you got to look at and say, and, and ask yourself this question or, or look at your life and say, you know, is this me? Do I confuse who I am with what I accomplish? Do you confuse who you are with what you accomplish? Because that's what we're talking about right there, where what, what we accomplish determines our worth in life. And, and this is the thing about successful people or people that get their worth on this, this, this uh, success-based identity, identity internally, most of those people have very low self-esteem. Because here's the deal, when people that live their life on this success-based identity thing, what happens is when they are on their highest highs, when they've made the big sale, when they've gone out and they've gotten the raise, when they've gone out and, and been successful and, and, and started a new family or got married or found that dream girl or found that dream guy. Everybody knows about it because they're external about it. They want everybody to know. They want everybody to see their worth and their value. And they, they're going to shout it from the rooftops to make sure that everybody hears about it and everybody sees it. And when you see it, you want what they have. But what you don't see is when they have the bad day, when they don't get the sale, the next day, man, they can't even get out of bed. Because their highs are really high, but their lows are extremely low because everything is driven by what's happening around them externally. And, if, and this is the thing, we cannot control our external circumstances. And so we're gonna have highs of highs and then we're gonna have lows of lows. And But because our worth is based on that, man, our, our countenance is continuously going like this. It's like a roller coaster in life. And what I did is I, I put some symptoms that, that maybe you can identify with, that you might recognize in your life if you have this, if you're confusing who you are with what you accomplish. And one of them is this, is, is I have a need to be approved by others so I feel good about myself. You know, I, I realize that all of us have, a, have some sort of inner desire to want approval of others, but, but some of us, man, we've got a little bit of extreme. Like if, if people don't approve of, if somebody doesn't compliment us on what we're wearing that day, 
like we're in the dumps. We're like, I am the ugliest person on this earth. I need to go get liposuction or whatever, you know, we're just, we go to the extreme and, and, and maybe you're looking at that and, you, and on a scale of one to five, you know, one being like, man, I don't really deal with this and five being, man, I deal with this a lot. I just want you to self-evaluate. Look at your life and say, man, where do I fa- fall on this? Another one is, is, is I want to be known for being a workaholic, you know, and this is, this is one that's hard for me because, uh, you know, most people, they don't want to, you know, nobody goes around and says, oh, I'm a workaholic, I- except for probably me. I-, I love to work. I love my job. I love what I do. And so, man, I will work all the time. Like, I find it fun that I've worked 60 hours by Wednesday. I mean, that's just like a joy to me, but that's kind of jacked up for most people. Most people are not like that. And, and what you want to do is you, this is how you know if, if you're this, if, if you're always walking around telling everybody how busy you are. Man, I'd just be so busy, man. I'm busy, bro. You know, if you're walking around telling people that, there's a good chance that you have this success-based identity thing where you're identifying who you are with what you do. Another one that might be there is, is I want my children to behave well so others will think that I'm a good parent. Now, granted, I know all of us want our kids to behave well, but you know, like this is the case where like you have different rules like outside of your house compared to inside your house. Like inside your house, your kids can do certain things, but outside the house, like you have all these special rules and you're like, we're going outside. Like, so if, if a neighbor sees you, you better do as I say, or I will beat you when we, you know, you have all these things. Y'all are laughing, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. The success-based identity thing that's happening in our lives. And, uh, you know, it's been said that achievement is the drug of our time. And, and this is the thing, man, we learn this from such an early age. I mean, I, I was thinking about this as being a little kid and, and playing baseball for the first time. And I remember my first game of playing baseball. And, and maybe you were a kid and you played baseball. And I remember that first game, I got a, I got a double in the game. And I was so, my first hit, I was so excited. And when, after the game, my dad was ecstatic. You know, if you're a dad out there and when your son or your daughter gets their first hit, you're like, you're like on top of the world. You're like, my, my son's going to the MLB. You know, we're going to be in major leagues. You know, he probably won't play for the Marlins because they're horrible. He'll probably play for like the Yankees. They'll pay out the wazoo for him. And, and so you're thinking that. And, and I remember my dad was so, he's like, TJ, you did, bro. He called me Squirt. He's like, Squirt, you killed it, bro. You killed it. I shouldn't have said that because everybody's going to start calling me Squirt. And, and so <laughs> I have no idea if that has some other connotations why I got that nickname or not. But, I, <laughs> but uh, he was calling, he's like, Squirt, man, you killed it. That was awesome. That was all, awesome. man, we're going to go get an ice cream cone. And so all of a sudden, I was like, man, if I get a hit in baseball, I get ice cream after the game. And I'll talk to you all about last week about ice cream. Ice cream, you scream. We all scream for ice cream. It's, my, it's that thing that's deep within me that if there's ice cream somewhere, I'm going to find that junk. I think because my dad subliminally put it in me, get a hit, you get ice cream. And so, so, you know, I equated that, you know, if I get a hit, here is a success, here is self-worth, here is value. And so every time I went up the bat, you know what I was feeling inside? Man, I got to get a base hit. And maybe you've experienced this in your job. You get that sale and your boss comes in and he's like, man, that's what I'm talking about. Way to get that sale, girl. Way to get that sale. You know, that's what we want every single day. Sale, sale, sale. And so every day you're, you're going after those things. And our life starts to revolve around that thing. And, and Mary Bell, who's a counselor and works with high-level executives, she says this. She says, these days the best people, they don't abuse alcohol and they don't abuse drugs. They abuse their lives. She says, you're successful, so good things happen. You complete a project and you feel dynamite. That feeling, though, doesn't last forever. You slide back to normal and you think, I've got to start a new project. 
which, which is completely normal, but you love the feeling of euphoria, so you've got to do it, have it again and again and again. The problem is, is you can't stay on that high. And that's it. And that's it. And we'll, just, we'll just talk about baseball. I remember that first game, I got that hit. You know what? So what happened the next game? I got up to bat, and I was like, I just got to get a hit. I just got to get a hit. You know what happened? I struck out. You know, I was, on, I was riding this high from the week before, and all of a sudden, I wasn't just back at normal. I was below. The next time I came up and I got a hit, you know what? But I never made it back to that high. I just got back to the baseline. I just got back to this is where I should be. And it didn't matter how many hits I got, I could just never seem to get back to that place of that ex- ecstasy and that excitement. And, but I was always striving to get back there in my life. And it was like, the, it was this fleeting thing that, that no matter how high I reached, no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, I could not get back to that same place. And, and if I happened to, it wouldn't be very long before I would be back underneath. Because it just wouldn't last. See, an achievement addict is no different than any other kind of addict. An addict is an addict. And so, man, you'll put your marriage on the sidelines for one more hit. You'll, you'll, you'll brush off your friends to get one more high. You'll, you'll, you know, abandon your kids chasing that last buzz that you think you can get. Because you're always after just a little bit more. A couple of indicators, a couple of other indicators. Another one is, is I believe if I make mistakes, I myself am a, am a failure. You mess up just a little bit. It's not just a mess up, man. It ruins your life. All of a sudden, you're the worst. Scale of one to five, where are you at? How about this one? When I'm criticized, I tend to take it personally. And this is, this is a big one. Let me just, just kind of do a little side commentary here. Listen, uh, you know, if you're out there and, and, and you criticize others to feel better about yourself, let me just say, man, you're a jerk. Um, I'm just straight up, man. That, that is the worst thing in the world that you can do to, to belittle others so that you can build yourself up. And, and in criticism, a lot of times, is, is just this cowardly form of self-praise. But the problem with criticism is, is that when criticism comes into our life, it just absolutely seems to destroy us. You know, we can be doing really well in life, and all of a sudden, a, some criticism comes up, and all that self-worth, I mean, it's like bucketfuls just get dumped on us. You know, we can have a thousand good emails. All of y'all have probably experienced this, man. You have a thousand good emails, and, and your life is you're just like, man, I'm getting all kinds of stuff right here, man. Man, it's coming through. But all of a sudden, you get one bad email. What happens? A bucket of criticism comes, and it fills, it just takes that self-worth from you. And it's so easy when people criticize you to be like, man, they got an issue, but let's stop pointing our fingers at all the haters that are out there. And let's start saying and looking at our lives and saying, you know what? Maybe the way that I'm responding is a revelation that there's something that's broken inside of me. Because why is this thing that they're saying to me destroying me so much? Why is this thing that's happening in in my life by their words, taking this worth and this value that I deem that I need and just destroying it and taking it and throwing it away? What is happening on the inside of me that is making that happen? And so we, we, some of us, we need to recognize that we are not our giftedness. Listen, you are not a musician. 
God didn't create you just as a musician. God didn't create you as an accountant. God didn't create you as a teacher. God didn't create a lawyer, thank goodness. I mean, God didn't create a preacher. Sorry for all you lawyers out there. I mean, that's just probably something he didn't create. It's probably a man-made thing. You're not any more or any less valuable to God based on your tax bracket, your job title, the zip code of your house, whether you have a successful life in the terms of other people's or whether you just lost your job or you're struggling in your family right now. That does not determine your worth and your value from God in your life. God's, how he sees you, it does not waver. It does not change. Your value in his eyes never declines. And so you're made to do great things. And, and man, it's wonderful to work hard. It's wonderful and it's a blessing to use the gifts and the talents that he's given to you. But your worth and your value are not based on your achievements in life. They're just not. And so if we're finding our identity in, in, in what we do is who we are, man, we're, we're, we're grasping at something that's always going to be lacking. Another area to look at if, for the success-based identity thing is, is you struggle when other people have success. You struggle when others succeed. And uh, you'll notice this in your life because you're often jealous of people in your workplace. And so you'll say things like this. You'll say things like, man, why didn't I get to go to lunch with the boss today? I mean, why did they get that promotion? Why did they get that raise? I mean, everybody knows that I work harder in this job. I mean, everybody knows that I do a lot more than everybody else. And I don't understand why they're getting that and I am not. And you see, your whole life revolves around climbing the ladder of success and you're continuously trying to get to that top rung. And, and the problem with that is, is that no matter how how good you are, you might eventually get to the top rung, but if you've noticed, nobody really stays there besides Bono. I mean, he's the only dude that's been able to stay at the top of his game. The rest of us, we're all human, and it doesn't matter. We can get it to the top, and we're there for a little bit, but before long, somebody always passes us, don't they? Somebody always comes along and has a better idea. Somebody always comes along and is willing to work a little bit harder. Somebody always comes along and is a little bit more innovative. And so as we pass them, if, if we're looking to others based on our success and where we at, are at in the, in the ladder of success in life, what'll happen is when people pass us, we'll start to become cynical and we'll start to become mean and we'll start to be, become lash out at others because we'll deem their success as taking away our success and it will completely ruin our lives. And this bitterness will come into our lives and we'll look at them and their success will just enhance our perceived failure in life. It'll just, it'll just magnify the void that is in our life that we are so hungry after that success. A couple of things that you can look at and evaluate in your life is, is I criticize others in order to feel better about myself. We talked a little bit about this on one to five. Where are you at on that? Another one is I compare myself a lot to other people. 
Man, if you're playing the comparison game, it is, it is one of the deadliest games because there's always somebody that's further behind you and there's always somebody that's further along. And when that person that's behind you, you look at them, you're like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling like a pimp. Go and brush your shoulders off. You know, you're like Jay-Z. And then you turn around and you realize that you're not. You're just some bum rapper on the street that, that, that is trying to get up to Jay-Z's level. Another one is, is I tend to covet a lot more than I celebrate. And this one's a huge indicator for me. I, I, this is one where I've struggled big time in, in my life. I, I just, I, I tend to want what other people, I, I know that this is horrible. You shouldn't ever say this, but you know what? When I see people going to other churches, it pisses me off. I'm like, I want that. You know, like I want that person. I mean, I'm just being honest. I know that that's horrible. You're like, I should never go to church with a guy that says that. But I, I mean, I'm honest. I, I tend to want those things. And instead of celebrating what God is doing over there, I'm like, man, why isn't God doing that in my life? Come on, we're all honest here. Let's be real. I mean, how often are we doing that? We're like, man, why is that happening to them? That should be happening to me. That should be part of my life. Matthew 16, 26, it says this, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? This is just another way of Jesus was saying the same thing that Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, man. If you go after all that stuff at the end of the day, it's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. You're gonna lose the game. Now here's the flip side of that. Instead of this success-based identity, I believe that God wants us to have a, a totally different identity and he wants to have us to have this position based identity in life and that's where we understand that our sense of self-worth comes from who we are in Christ instead of gathering our self-worth from all these external accomplishments from all the things that we can do and all the things that other people can do instead we start to gather our self-worth from what Christ has done inside of us instead of looking to the outside to fulfill what is the void on the inside and 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 this is the thing for our lives that we got to understand that these idols of success and achievement in our lives are not expelled they cannot just be expelled we can't just push them away they have to be replaced in our life there's got to be something that, that, that fills that void that's in our lives. And this is the thing. When God created us, we all had this God-shaped void in our lives that we've been trying to fit things in, whether it's success, whether it's achievement, whether it's beauty, whether it's sex, whether it's relationships, whatever it may be, we've been trying to fill that void in our lives. And there's only one thing and one thing only that can fill that void in our lives. And, and we cannot continue to try to put things in there that are never going to fill that vast expansion in our hearts. The only thing that can fill that is the love of Christ that God gave us when he sent his son thousands of years ago. Now, now, does that mean that we don't go and we work hard? Does that mean that, you know, we, we don't care about the results? Does that mean that we don't try to be the best mother that we possibly can be or the, to be the best father that we can possibly be? Not at all. It just means that our identity is not totally wrapped up in the accomplishments that we have in life. It can't be wrapped up just in those things because we are more than our giftedness. We're more than the, the title that's on our business card. We're more than the, than the name that's on our, our, on our business card of our, of our company. We are more than that. And position-based identity comes from our performance or, or, or position-based identity doesn't come from my performance or my evaluation of my performance. Rather, this positional-based identity comes from how I feel about my relationship with Christ. It doesn't come from what I can do. It comes from what's already been done for me. 
And see, right now, so many of us, we're trying to achieve things in our life and we're trying to go after things that we can never grab in our life because we haven't come to the realization that what we need in life has already been done for us. And it doesn't matter how hard we strive and how hard we work, and those things are not bad things in and of themselves, but if that's all that there is in life, we are missing it. And this is what Psalms 139 says. It says, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. What that tells me is that, man, God declares in our very being in the fact that we're here on earth and that he created us, that we are somebody, that we are loved, that we are valued, that we are treasured, that we are made for a purpose, on purpose, and and by a purpose. And, And God wants to do something in our lives and it doesn't matter how successful we are. Because our success and our value is in Christ. But if you let anything other than Christ define you, it will grind your life down. And many of you know this. Many of you have been running on this success-based treadmill your entire life and you feel like you're getting nowhere. You want to know why? Because you're running in place. It doesn't matter how fast you speed it up or what incline you put it on. You just never seem to get there. And what happens is we're always haunted by the question, have I done enough? Have I done enough? And we know deep down inside, no matter how much we do, that feeling is, no, I haven't. I gotta do more. I gotta do more. And through the gospel, if you root your identity not in what you've accomplished, but in what has been accomplished for you, if you root your identity in the truth, and the truth that because of Jesus, right now you are loved, right now you are accepted, right now you are a beloved child of God, if you root your identity in that, it will destroy that treadmill of success. And all of a sudden, because your core identity isn't going to be rooted in something that's, that's moving and shaking, it's going to be rooted in something that stands firm through the tests of time. And so here's the question, and I'm going to close with this, that I want all of us to answer is, do you like the person you're becoming? Do you like the person you're becoming? Do you like the man that you're becoming? Do you like the woman that you're becoming? Do you like the husband or the mother that you're becoming? Do you like the single person that you're becoming? If not, might I suggest to you that you look at what's on the throne of your heart? What's in the number one place in your life? Because here's a fundamental truth of human nature. And one of the greatest dangers of idolatry, and that's this, is that what we worship shapes who we are. Whatever is number one in our life is going to shape everything that we do in life. And in the psalmist in 115, 4 through 8, he says this, but their idols are of silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell. He goes on to verse 8 and he says, those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. And the psalmist is trying to paint this contrast because, between a living God who, who fulfills all these things in life that, that if he's on the throne of our heart, man, that's gonna be at the center and it's gonna be living within us. But if we chase after all these things in life that are, that are made of human hands, the gold and the silver, just like the Olympics, if we're chasing after all those things, at the end of the day, they're gonna be dead. They're gonna be empty. They're gonna be lifeless.
And the prophet Jeremiah, he said something very much like it. He said, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. His point applies to us so much today. What we worship determines what we become. And so if we worship money, you know what we'll become? We'll become greedy. If we worship sex, we'll become lustful. If we worship power, we'll become a corrupt person. If we worship accomplishment, we'll become restless and frantic in our lives. If we worship love and acceptance, we'll become a slave to others. And worshiping anything other than the one true God will make us something other than what he created us to be. That's why I love in Genesis 126, right in the very first page of the Bible, said God said to them, I created them to be in our image, in, in our image likeness. When God created us, it speaks to our worth and our value that he created us in. And it, and, it, and, it, and it speaks to, man, this idea that we can be a very reflection of this holy God. But here's the thing, we cannot be a reflection of a holy God and be worshiping something else. We are going to be a reflection of whatever we're worshiping here. And because we cannot just expel these things, we have to replace them. It, it has to be something that we can't just turn from one thing. We have to turn to another. And maybe today you've been, you've been running after success. You've been running after achievement. You've been running to all those things. And maybe today is the day that you need to recognize, man, I need to turn away from those things and turn to the only thing that can fulfill this void and this desperate need in my life. Because all those other things leave us feeling empty. We'll never find our worth in our job. We'll never find our worth in our, 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 the car that we drive. We'll never find our worth in the wife that we marry. We'll never find our worth in the money we have in the bank account. We'll never find our worth in any of those things. We might find some accomplishment in those things, but that accomplishment is always fleeting. What are you putting your worth in today? What's on the throne of your heart today? In psychological terms, what that means is we have to detach ourselves from one thing and attach ourselves to another. And I believe that God here today is saying, man, there's some of you that need to attach yourself to me. You've been attached to a lot of other things. It's time to detach and attach. Let's pray. This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv.